So my sermon for this week is actually a text. It's the lectionary text from just a few weeks ago, um, but uh, I really wanted to be able to preach on it, but I, I was not able to be in church that Sunday, and so we're doing it today. Um, so the title for this week is actually borrowed uh, from someone else, um, a scholar and preacher whose name is Dr. Raquel Letsom. And my title for today is this, Not Today, Not Today. So if you're like me, I imagine that you have likely said, not today, many times uh, throughout your life. I will tell you, and my wife can tell you this as well, that I'm pretty good at procrastinating. Uh, I'm good at putting things off. Uh, countless times, uh, Laura will come to me and bring something to my attention that needs to be done or something she just wants done, and my response is often, yeah, I'll do it, but just not today, not today. I'll get to it tomorrow. Back in high school and in college in particular, I, I can't remember how many times I would put off writing a paper or studying for an exam or doing an assignment until the last possible moment. And then that pressure, you know, I would just like buckle down and try to get it done as quick as I can and get it done right before it was due. And in my mind, I thought, you know, why do it today if it can wait until tomorrow, right? Have y'all ever asked that question before? Well, a simple answer, I think, to that rhetorical question is that, you know, tomorrow can often turn into the day after tomorrow. The day after tomorrow can often turn into next week. Next week can often turn into next month. Next month can often turn into next year. I think you get my point that not todaying often results in never. Now, saying not today about straightening up my office at home is annoying for sure, but there are really much more important things that we say not today about. As I was thinking about this message, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. comes to my mind, and particularly his letter that he wrote from the Birmingham jail. And he wrote this letter specifically to white Christian leaders um, as he was locked up there. And one of the central themes of his letter concerns not today. He wrote these words. He said, for years now I have heard the word wait. He says it rings in the ear of every Negro with a piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. And he goes on to say that black Americans have waited for more than 340 years for their God-given and constitutional rights. After George Floyd's murder a couple of years ago, protests erupted all across the world. And a common refrain at the protest was, we want justice and we want it now. Because not today almost always means never, and many have grown tired and intolerant of not today. With this in mind, I'm going to read our text for today. It comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. All right, so right there, we hear the setting. He's in a synagogue, and it is on the Sabbath. So on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. 
She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So Jesus begins, uh, the story begins with Jesus teaching in one of the synagogues, which is a Jewish place of worship, on the Sabbath. Now, do you remember the first time that Jesus taught in a synagogue in the Gospel of Luke? All the way back in Luke chapter 4, this is a really important chapter in in Luke, the Gospel of Luke. So all the way back in 4, he picked up that scroll, do you remember, and he opened it. And he read from the prophet Isaiah, and he read kind of his mission statement about uh, setting the captives free and, and pronouncing the good news for the poor. And after he did that, do you remember what happened? People tried to bound him and throw him off a cliff and kill him. So he's now back in the synagogue teaching. And so, according to Luke's gospel, Luke's alerting us. He wants us to think back to the other times he's been in synagogues. And we should be ready for some conflict and some drama. As uh, Dr. Letsom put it, they let the wrong preacher in the pulpit that day. In the synagogue that day was a woman. And a woman who was suffering from some kind of disability that caused her to not to be able to sit up straight. The text tells us that she was bent over, and she had had this issue for 18 long years. And in verses 12 and 13, we read that Jesus saw her, that Jesus spoke to her, that Jesus touched her, and that Jesus set her free. It was just a normal day in the synagogue. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue to a group of people, and this woman happened to be there as well. She didn't ask anything of Jesus. She was just there. There's a good chance this woman had come to the synagogue every Sabbath for the last 18 years. Jesus could have just preached his sermon. He could have moved on to the next thing he had going for that day, and no one would have thought a thing of it. But instead, Jesus paid enough attention to the people who were there that day. And he paid enough attention to them to notice this particular woman. He saw her suffering. He spoke up. This is fascinating. He spoke up in the middle of his teaching. He went off course. He interrupted his train of thought to speak directly to this woman who he saw was in need. And then he completely paused his message to go to her, to touch her, and to set her free from what ailed her. And I wonder, why did Jesus need to speak up and say something? 
when everyone else there seemed just fine with the way things were? Why did Jesus need to heal this woman when she didn't even ask to be healed? Perhaps Jesus was so in touch with God's heart, with God's desire for healing and freedom, that He had that fire burning within Him so powerfully that He had to speak up. He had to act. He had to do something. Dr. Letzum says these words, at some point we have to quit proclaiming and praying from a distance. At some point we need to quit sending our thoughts and prayers where we need to send our bodies and our dollars and our resources. Jesus set this woman free from a disability that had caused her so much suffering for her for 18 long years. And you would think this is a reason. This is a reason to celebrate, to rejoice, to give praise to God. And the woman did just that. She gave praise to God immediately after she was healed. However, others in the synagogue that day were not happy. They were not joyful. They were not wanting to celebrate. The synagogue leader who, who gave Jesus the platform that day to teach that person, that man, was indignant. He was furious. He was enraged by the fact that a woman was healed on the wrong day of the week. <laughs> According to this synagogue leader's interpretation of the Sabbath laws, you were not allowed to heal on the Sabbath. Healing on Sunday through Friday was just fine. But not on Saturday. Not on the Sabbath. Not today. And I imagine Jesus just thinking in his mind, not today? Are you serious? He then made a very compelling argument. He said, you all even care for your animals on the Sabbath, don't you? You lead them to the place to get them water so they can survive, don't you? And if you care for your animals on the Sabbath, then you can certainly care for this woman and rejoice in the fact that she has now experienced new life and freedom from something that was binding her. And he called her a daughter of Abraham, likely in an effort to kind of shame the awful treatment of this precious child of God. As Dr. Letzum said, we are no longer caring for animals more than we do humans. Caring only for those that we can monetize and make a profit. We're no longer allowing people to be in bondage or delay their freedom because the timing of their freedom isn't convenient to us. In this challenging story, Jesus asserts that not today is not an option. Today is the day to act on someone's behalf. Today is the day to seek after God. You know, yesterday is gone. Tomorrow is not promised. All we have is today. And the people there, they eventually celebrated because I, I imagine they were just excited because there was no more waiting. They saw with their eyes that salvation had come to them today. You know, the, the church, the Christian church has been saying not today for far too long. And it's left the church irrelevant and out of touch. Too often the church has failed to show up during critical moments throughout our history. Sixty years ago, uh, Dr. King said words that are just as true today as they were then. He said that the contemporary church 
is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. Y'all agree with me that the contemporary church often has got a weak, just ineffectual voice and it doesn't have a certain sound and it's not showing up in the moments when it needs to show up. When the Spirit is moving us to change, to adapt, to show up for others, to repent, all too often we have said, not today, maybe later, now is just not the right time. You know, Jesus brought heaven with Him when He came to earth 2,000 years ago. He declared that the kingdom of God was at hand. It was here. And He stressed the urgency of the moment. In Luke, it's, there's this intense urgency with Jesus. He stressed the urgency of the moment and called people to repent, to turn to God, and believe, begin living as citizens of God's kingdom right now. And, and, and the Gospel of Luke is just so challenging to me. And particularly if you remember when Jesus set His face to go towards Jerusalem in chapter 9, it really, this urgency just picks up for the rest of the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus is like, no, don't worry about the past. The future is not guaranteed. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to act. And now is the time to follow in the way that I'm leading you. I'll share one more quote from Dr. King. And, and this is one that I've reflected on many times throughout the years. But he said, the time is always ripe to do right. The time is always ripe to do right. And I just want to give you all a chance this morning to reflect just for a moment. And I've got these questions for you to, to think about as we close. And, and maybe I can go ahead and invite Laban and, and potentially... Uh, some other members to come up, or camera, you can play something for us just to help us focus. But I want us just to take a moment to think about these questions. How have you postponed righteousness? How have you postponed justice or compassion? Perhaps you can ask, what is the next right thing God is calling you to do today? And ultimately, the question is, what can no longer wait? What can no longer wait? God may be stirring in your heart this morning. Uh, God may have been stirring in your heart for quite some time now, and you keep just delaying it. And you're like, all right, God, I feel your spirit moving in me. I feel you calling me. I love that, that John's story that he shared. It was like he felt called to do something fairly radical in that moment. His friends did too, and, and they, they discerned it in their spirits that this was right, and so they stepped up and did it. And often God is calling us to do sometimes big things like that, dangerous things like that even. But often it's just the day-to-day -day stuff too. But what is God stirring in your heart? If the Spirit's moving in you or you're, you're, you just feel it, often we know what we need to do. It's just doing it is kind of the hard thing, right? And, and maybe God is moving in your heart this morning and challenging you. Maybe it's reaching out to uh, someone and, and trying to repair a relationship that's been damaged. Maybe it's getting involved in something that, that God has been pushing you. I want you to stand up. I want you to get involved with these people who are working for change and for justice. Maybe now's the time to say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make that call, or I'm going to send that email, or I'm going to show up to that meeting. Maybe you've been dealing with something that's just binding you, and you kind of know a step that you need to take to move into the presence of God or, or help to get around people who can help you. Maybe you just need to do that this morning. 
But what is that next right thing that God is calling you to do today? What can no longer wait? And I want to promise you that, that as you take those steps towards God in the direction God's calling you to go, that, that God is making up the difference, that there's so much grace. You know, I often think of it like we make little baby steps towards God, yet God is making big, huge leaps towards us, you know, making up that difference for us. Because um, in our own power, we can't do a lot. But I do believe that God is, we've got to take that next right step, though. It's a partnership, you know. God doesn't do everything for us. I believe our relationship with God is a partnership where one side of the partnership's definitely pulling the weight. <laughs> but God is inviting us to step and, and join Him in that work uh, to see us become fully the people God has called us to be. So just take a moment, um, and then uh, in just a couple of moments, I'll call us back together and we'll share communion.